Hello and welcome to Grab Them by the Posy, a podcast brought to you by Oxford Feminist Society. Each week we will be talking to inspirational women and non-binary people within Oxford about barriers they've overcome and the contribution they've made to the wider community. We will also be chatting to them about their stories and hearing about their lives as feminist activists. We hope that these conversations will bring comfort, anger, inspiration, but ultimately hope. I'm Kate, she, her, and I study developmental haematology as a postgrad student, and I'm also at Teddy Hall. I'm Ruth, I use she, her pronouns. I study English at Wadham in my second year. So grab yourself a cup of tea and let's have a conversation. Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of Grab Them by the Posy. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited about this podcast series um, and it's an absolute pleasure to bring this podcast episode to you. Why I Stopped Talking About Race at Oxford University, White Fragility and Internalised Racism at Oxford University, an interview with Melanie Anovo. Following the horrific murder of George Floyd at the hands of the Minnesota police officers, Millions of people around the world took this to the streets, their computers, even to the dinner table to demand an honest conversation about racism in the 21st century and pledged to be informed, active allies for black and minority communities. We know these issues cannot and should not be reduced to one abhorrent incident. Only now is it formally being acknowledged that the subjugation of black and ethnic minorities we see on our screens is the direct legacy of colonialism and imperialism. But despite the fact that people are literally dying because of the failure to address these issues properly and take active steps towards restructuring the attitudes and logistics of our society, many white people still struggle to discuss this and acknowledge their own privilege and the tangible ways in which we have benefited as a result of this inequality. We hope to offer a safe platform through which to hold conversations like these. Our first inspirational woman of Oxford is Melanie Anovo. Melanie is a second year history and politics student at Christchurch College. Since being at Oxford, Melanie has been awarded a Christchurch Prize scholarship for outstanding academic potential. She has also held the positions of both secretary and treasurer for the Oxford Union and is an Oxford Blue University rugby player. More recently, Melanie has built her own YouTube community, The Truth of the Matter, which platforms the voices of marginalised communities and fosters genuine allyship to challenge and combat the deep-rooted racism and prejudice in the world without fear. Specifically, Melanie has addressed the racial abuse she experienced at Oxford University, a conversation which we are privileged to discuss today. Melanie is an inspiring woman of Oxford, and this is her story. Hi Melanie and thank you for joining us today. We're really excited to have you. Um, This podcast is brought by me, Kate and Ruth. So I thought Melanie, if you could just, because a lot of people who are listening to this might not know you um, outside of your YouTube channel, would you be able to just introduce yourself, like what you study, where you're from? I'm Melanie Hornovo. I study history and politics at Christchurch. I am a second year, but I'm currently I had to suspend my studies on medical grounds. I'm from East London, Borough of Newham, which is one of the most impoverished in the UK. I went to a state comprehensive and yeah, that's me. So in terms of like where you went to your state school then, was that a completely non-selective school? So I went to a non-selective school for secondary school, then got quite good GCSEs and went to a selective state school called Brampton Manor. Um, Brampton Manor has recently come to fame because we send a load of people to Oxbridge now and like people starting to look at the kind of academy system and seeing what it is that works within Brampton that can increase representation of students from our kind of backgrounds in Oxbridge. So I think last year they sent like, I think 50 students to Oxbridge. Yeah, like a load, like I think in my year it was 25. So I think about 20 to Cambridge, five Oxford. But since then it's completely grown and it's really exciting to see. What do you think that they're doing that's getting so many people into Oxbridge? I think it's a state school with a private school ethos is the way I could explain 
the way it works and I think like because academies can get like funding from elsewhere they can afford to do a lot more things like interview prep testing prep help with like like personal statement workshops things that probably students from the same background at other like more impoverished colleges would not be able to access so I think that really bridges the gap and like allows students to really perform when it comes to the Oxbridge process I think that's what I would say they're doing differently I think it's also just a school full of incredibly bright students who all work very hard I think that was my experience of Brampton I didn't really like I made friends but my head was completely in A-level mode for the entire time Um, and a lot of students were like that it wasn't a weird thing to have no friends (laughs) but yeah I think that's what they're doing that is working and the head of sick form is very dedicated Um, he went to Cambridge and just cares so much about how um, the students do like invests unbelievable hours into his job and I think it really does make a difference um, having someone like him leading the sick form. That's such a like positive story. And and so like because of all that, did you feel like I imagine you were probably told from quite early, like, oh, you should consider applying to Oxford or like not told, but you would have been made aware that you had the option and you'd be supported. Because I know a lot of people who apply feel like quite nervous about it and they're thinking like I'll never get in. Did you feel quite empowered to apply to somewhere like Oxford? I felt incredibly empowered. So I actually, so it's quite weird. I actually had, like, my dream was to study in the US, actually. I wanted to go to Yale and I was on, like, a kind of scholarship program that, like, allowed me to, that kind of funded my tests and allowed me to apply to, like, the US. But, like, the contingency was that. So the way the scholarship program kind of worked is, like, your US options supersede your UK options. So say I didn't get into Yale, maybe I got into Bowdoin College, which is still a good like liberal arts college. I'd and I got into Oxford, I'd have to reject my Oxford offer in mm. place for this other college. So I pulled out as soon as I got into Oxford. I was like, yes, no, it's okay. <laughs> like maybe the US four masters, who knows? But um <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to Oxford like but that meant like it took the pressure off when I was actually applying to Oxford because I was like I'm going to the US at this point I didn't overthink the Oxbridge process it was like okay prep for tests okay what college do you want to go to oh that one's really rich okay I'm gonna (laughs) like I didn't I didn't really over like I didn't overthink the process and I genuinely think that's why I got in because I was relaxed, which meant that I could focus. I think a lot of people, when they treat Oxford as kind of like the big option out of all their university choices, they overthink the process and then psych themselves out. And then that could have negative consequences for the application process, which is quite brutal. And I think being able to relax through it, to focus to concentrate set targets for yourself that means that like even if you are unsuccessful in terms of the Oxbridge process it's not like the be all and end all like you know you have other options like seeing I feel like for me seeing Oxford as one of my UK choices and not as the university I have to go to and if I don't get in there then my life is over kind of thing then like that actually helped me a lot in terms of coping with the application process. That's so interesting. It seems like such a great way to approach the kind of the whole admissions process, because like you said, it is pretty brutal. So I wonder how did you find it kind of with your very, I guess, pragmatic approach? Did that alter your experience of kind of admissions tests, interviews, that sort of thing? So I'm one of those people who are very convinced that I'm very convinced that I peaked at A-levels in terms of like <laughs> academic credentials. <Yeah. laughs> like, when I, I only had to sit the hat, which was basically a series of history essays. And I loved history at the time. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, 
this is this is cool like I think I had to write an essay on an extract on the history of emotion which was like really weird but like I found it I found it fun so um the prep wasn't like grueling for me it was like oh the history of emotion like Mm. okay let me try and write something about this and then I could write like basically any history essay for the second question which was like on medium and long-term factors of basically anything so then I found that really fun and then there was like a source question at the end which was I think about slavery in France which was it very interesting so like I kind of I I enjoyed the hat (laughs) in terms of prep for it like I went to kind of two like prep classes that Brampton organized but I didn't really do much else for it I printed out some of the like as you do you like look at the old like past papers and I just like had a flick through those did a couple plans and just didn't overthink it and that definitely helped me in that stage of the application process getting to interviews I won't lie to you that was a bit more intense um it's hard like once you're there you're like whoa especially being from where I'm from like like now it's becoming more normal to have like people from my background at Oxford and Cambridge just because of the way Brampton is churning out these students that are getting into Oxbridge but at the time it's like I didn't really I didn't see Oxford as a place that people like me went to or could be a part of so to be there was really overwhelming and I was like and I don't know if any of you guys have been to Christchurch but like it's 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 such a I don't know it carries this gravitas like it really like it's intense just standing like there in Tom Quad and like just taking in the scenery I was like okay this is real life <laughs> got to grind so I actually went to the library and just sat in the library did some prep for the interview and was like what happens happens <laughs> what happens happens so yeah did I thought my politics interview went quite badly actually um I thought the history one was okay like I kind of got grilled about my um essay on the British Empire and they were like well um like this wasn't this was a good essay but like um at no point did you actually really define um like something like what the British Empire really was or something like silly like that and I was like well it was a timed essay so I didn't really have (laughs) I didn't really spend that much time planning and they all like burst out laughing and I was like okay I don't think this is something that you should really be admitting in (laughs) an Oxford interview so I was like at that point I've blown it obviously I'm at Oxford so it wasn't it must not have been that bad um (laughs) but yeah it was really intense Mm-hmm. Um, but you just yeah you it's it's I think it's definitely mindset I think there are so many intel like clever people who don't get in talks within Cambridge and like not ju- like I think a lot of it is just luck do you get what I mean like I don't think they have done like I'm sure there are people who didn't do anything differently to me and mm-hmm. like so- sometimes it's just down to fit like if you like not that I see myself as like I don't know like the quintessential like Christchurch student but like I think college does matter I think like there's there's a certain fit like I knew that Christchurch was quite a political college I enjoyed that about it um at the time that I was applying and I think yeah I wish I did I definitely wish I did more research into college fit and I think that does play a definite role when you are applying like as like in interviews and stuff like because it's like it there's only so much you can prep and then after that it's whether the tutors think you are, are someone that would do well learning in that environment and yeah as we've like said like different colleges have different identities and I think that it does play a part in like whether you could be successful at 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 interview like I might be wrong but like I felt like I 
at interview, I felt like it, I, I was a good fit and I felt like I could see myself at Christchurch. And then I think that played a role in how confident I was when walking into interview, which I think does make a difference. I think if you walk into a college and you're like, I don't see myself here, mm. then that's already a problem from the off. And um, like, it's it's less li- I, it's less likely to go well if you don't have that confidence going into the interviews. So I was going to ask, um, you know, obviously this is a little biased, and I'm not at Christchurch, and I didn't, um, I did open application for my postgrad, so I didn't look into it. But um, were you like? obviously you said so many reasons why you thought Christchurch would be a good fit and in many ways it sounds like it was or you were a good fit for them they were a good fit for you whatever like do you did you have any um warning might be the right word of some of the perhaps less positive stereotypes of Christchurch or were you not aware of and did that factor into your decision I was not aware (laughs) (laughs) I was so naive (laughs) I was like woo uh Christchurch like I can't believe I've gotten into this really amazing environment that is like going to support me financially I was like I'm like I'm finally breaking out of the shackles of poverty by being in this place that can really provide for me and whilst they have like my scholarship from Christchurch has changed my life like I was living on a mattress at home and now I have a bed because I could afford a bed you know and like I could afford a phone I could afford a laptop that I can I use to do my degree like these are all things that changed my standard of living by being a Christchurch student but the flip side is that there are some quite dangerous cultures that exist within Christchurch that alienate students like me and I unfortunately have experienced what it is like to be completely ostracized by the Christchurch community mm-hmm. just because of who I am, which is, was a painful experience to go through and was not something I was prepared for because I didn't know anything about Christchurch before I applied. I think that's a difference between people who go to private schools and people who go to state schools in that most state schools don't get a lot of people into Oxford and Cambridge and Brampton as a sick form was quite new so there wasn't like alumni that I could go to and be like okay so tell me about which colleges are like this and what are their cultures I just had the idea that Christchurch had presented through their tours which unfortunately I like this is my kind of problem with access is in that yes it's great to have those tours and those opportunities for state school kids to see what Oxford is like but they're not really seeing what Oxford is like because they are never going to tell you the realistic state of affairs within each college and you're never going to then be able to really make a decision about what college is right for you so I had no clue about the kinds of things that were tolerated within Christchurch in terms of discrimination, like bias and racism, that could greatly impact my experience of being a student there. And it was only when I got there that I started to experience those things. Um, And it's not just like in terms of like, like to be honest, like until the incident that happened in June, like it for me it wasn't like a great racial divide it was more it was definitely quite classist like you feel the private state school divide quite like it's really pungent like you feel like that there is a separation a divide that is like very uncomfortable to live amongst and yeah I I just was I wasn't prepared for how alone I would feel in that environment and you adapt and I have made friends from Christchurch and not everybody is awful (laughs) but Mm -hmm. those that those people who have contributed negatively to my experience have done so in such a way that I that it broke my mental health and I'm now on medical leave because of how severely I was impacted by discrimination and harassment in Christchurch so yes 
I did not know <laughs> how bad things would be. I'm actually in the process of moving. Um, so oh. hopefully I'll be going to Teddy Hall. I just oh, that's my college, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted a a nice college environment, a bit smaller, somewhere that I can just finish out my degree without the stress of having to see the people who bullied me. <laughs> Because that's one thing I appreciate about the college, like the collegiate system in that like they're very insular. You can literally just live in college and never see people (laughs) outside of college, especially in a post-COVID-19 world. It would not be very hard for me to do. I just needed, I needed to get out and I'm happy that I will be getting out. Yeah. I mean, I'm really happy that you're able to do that and um that that's kind of like a decision that you've made and fingers crossed like it's going to be a really positive move I'm also kind of wondering like was there any talk about the people that bullied you and racially abused you of like them getting kicked out of the college as a kind of um, disciplinary move if possible in addition to Ruth's question could you potentially if you feel comfortable like kind of tell us what sort of time scale this happened over and like did you know these people like just for a bit of context and then like Ruth said as a result did anything happen so like to, for, for people that don't know I'll just explain what happened so in June after the murder of George Floyd well actually I think it was the 31st of May I'd called a meeting to donate to the Minnesota Freedom Fund to support in that meeting like so that meeting was merged with JCR Hustings and in someone's hust, they gave what was a very racist speech that trivialized um, the experience, like the African-American experience and the death of George Floyd, which was incredibly inappropriate, insensitive, made people feel very uncomfortable. I tried to call this out, like at its very inception, and I was then muted by the returning officer of the JCR meeting against this voice of racism so I decided to make the issue public and when I then did that I was threatened by email (laughs) by the censors of Christchurch with disciplinary action because I'd broken like rules against like the privacy of students at Christchurch by making this issue public which then emboldened other people at Christchurch to come out publicly to harass me because of what I'd done um so this was over a period of like I would say five days I think once I began to be like very ill people started to back off but by that point it was kind of too late and um I so what happened was I experienced what was called a hypermanic episode um I was hospitalized for two weeks and since then like my working diagnosis is bipolar disorder like I'm perfectly happy talking about all of this but I'd not I'd never like I'd had I'd struggled with anxiety before like bouts of depression I'd never had like a full-blown mental health crisis before this happened I'm sure that lockdown probably played a part but it was very much down to the fact that I spent five days with no sleep no food just fighting these racist people on my Facebook feed which very much contributed to the deterioration of my health so now I'm suspended um to heal (laughs) to recover but I'm also using this time to kind of do some degree work because like during my time at Oxford I very much spent my time doing extracurriculars and not really my degree (laughs) and like I feel like I don't want to use what was I want to use what was a bad experience to kind of revamp my degree and come out of this having done something meaningful um because it's not the ideal situation I'm not really in the monetary position to be able to take years out of Oxford and be fine like I'm I'm not (laughs) like I'm in the process of applying for hardship but like which is I'm grateful is available but in terms of having to be forcibly rusticated 
and live at home and have my mum support me like these are things that are very difficult and have made my life very difficult which wasn't really taken into consideration when I did have to rusticate and is quite like it's it's difficult but yeah that's the situation in terms of punishment there was an investigation which is now concluded and only into the girls who were involved in the creation of the speech and like the giving of the speech not any of the people who harassed me they were never investigated um they just got to go on with their lives when I did not have that luxury and yeah that that is it as in nothing has been done that's it there was an investigation into two people which came to nothing I'm now having mediation with those two people I don't really see why because um yes I made the issue public but those people who were involved in giving that racist speech they didn't harm me personally they caused harm to everybody who had to be present to hear that racist speech. Like they caused harm to, they caused harm to the black community, to George Floyd's memory by giving that awful speech. So if like, I don't see why me individually should have to be doing mediation with these people, especially when the people who actually harassed me and caused the situation that I'm in do not have to go through mediation, are not being punished in any way, moving on. So, yeah, that's it. Do you think that's, they're doing that mediation, I mean, I sense from what you're saying that maybe the college wants you, obviously I don't know how much you can say, but the college wants you to do this. It sounds to me like that, I don't know if you agree, sounds a bit like kind of you're doing them a favour by helping them assuage their guilt. If you yes. know what I mean, not that you are going to do that, but it sounds quite self-serving to me, like a, a white person feeling guilty for saying something that was incredibly insensitive. And it's like, oh, this will all be washed away. Melanie's going to accept your apology, which is like, there's, this isn't about how you feel. This is. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And I'm going to use the mediation session to voice that. And I don't want to look, I don't want to be perceived as the person who is rejecting the resolution of the situation. Mm. I'm going to do it Christchurch's way and then tell them why this is the wrong way and see if they want to do anything about it after that point. Because I, I think I'm also doing them a favour by moving. <laughs> like, I think to me, I'm a nuisance. By bringing this all to light, by doing things that were harmful to their reputation, I'm a nuisance. <laughs> so yeah, everything that has happened has been very much like self-serving, like Christchurch wanting to protect Christchurch and not really giving a damn what happens to me. Was, was the decision to rusticate your, is, is that, I think that's what it's called. Is that, was that your choice or? I mean, it was eventually my choice. Like I realized that I was incredibly ill (laughs) um, and could not continue my degree in that state there was a lot that happened that like whether if I had made the choice that I wanted to finish my degree I would not have had that choice and what was the were any of the staff uh, that reached out to you I guess because from a welfare perspective um, I can imagine they would have been worried or they certainly should have been did, how did you feel the staff in general supported you or didn't support you? Or? I, don't, I didn't feel like they supported me. Um, they eventually reached out and, like, to be fair to them, like, organised for me to have private counselling. But this was after months of me begging for them to just give me the university counselling service. I think the reason why they didn't what so initially when I asked for counselling they told me to go to the NHS <laughs> um, and I think the reason why that happened is because they didn't have black counsellors available and not that I asked for black counsellor what I asked for was a culturally sensitive counsellor because I didn't really want to be in a situation where I was having to like explain to more white people why what happened was problematic so I just needed someone who had an understanding of race issues to then be doing my counselling 
Like, I don't think that was asking for too much. Do you know what I mean? Like that could be not. That's kind of the bare minimum, right? That you don't have to explain or educate or teach people in a counselling session, you know? Exactly. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think they came to understand that as she wants a black counsellor, which was not the case. So I was denied counselling and then I was put on the waiting list in the NHS and then months down the line like I think maybe August like I got an email being like oh um if you want counseling we can organize it for you and I was like oh okay (laughs) um yes please (laughs) and yeah I've been having counseling since which has been really helpful but really problematic um that they didn't really have like counselors on staff that could help Um, I think especially for your most vulnerable students, whether they're black students, whether LGBT students, disabled students, like I feel like there should be something in place that allows those students to have access to people who understand their plight and that is not something that exists right now. And I think that's problematic because if you are, I don't know, if you are a cis healthy like white person who accesses the counseling service you get to have a cis white person give you your counseling with no trouble if you are someone who belongs to any other marginalized group you don't have that luxury and if you are someone who belongs to a marginalized group you are someone who is at greater like vulnerability to like situations that will impact your mental health things like microaggressions discrimination abuse that should warrant you to be able to have access to services that aid you through those struggles and that doesn't exist right now and and did you find that you know like when you said you went into a hospital was that the same there like what was the because obviously it's quite sensitive what was the support like from those people you encountered? In the hospital? Yeah, like I was wondering, did you feel like you weren't catered for in your specific situation there or was that not? It's tricky. Um, I think eventually I got the help that I needed, but at the beginning there was a lot that was wrong. There's a lot that is wrong with the NHS in terms of mental health provisions. I feel like we don't have enough time (laughs) for me to go into detail with what happened in the hospital. I think I did eventually get the support that I needed in the hospital, but it took a while. So when I'd first reached out for help, um, I was actually nearly put under section. And it's because I had had what was a very violent panic attack. I was taken to the hospital I told them that I was an Oxford student and I was currently suffering like racial abuse and they believed that this was like a fabrication like caused by my psychosis and were going to section me. So my mom had to bring my university ID and show them that I was an Oxford student, which then they sent me home. But up to that point, I was going to be put under section because they believed that I'd fabricated the fact that I was an Oxford student. And I don't believe that if I was white, that 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 would be the case. That is appalling. I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. That's really, really horrible. Okay. (laughs) That's like like being gaslighted about your identity. I can't even... Yeah, and that happened. (laughs) And it's not something that should ever happen. But it then made me distrust the services that I... like the help that I could receive from that hospital and when I eventually got to the point where I did have to be admitted I was hostile but I was also not in right frame of mind at all to engage with those services but was treated incredibly badly as a result so there was just a lot going on that made things incredibly difficult for me in that situation But yeah, I did eventually receive the help that I needed. And it also helped that a lot of the nurses were like, were actually Nigerian and like, I don't know, I could relate to them, talk to them about like my country, like talk to them about my, like 
being able to relate to the people who were giving me my care like did actually incredible like help but a lot so I guess that was a positive of that experience but yeah that sounds so difficult and like the way that you can actually just talk about it so I mean I'm sure you feel things you know yourself but the way you can talk about it to us so calmly and articulately is I don't think I could do that if I'd you know been through something like that that's just incredible thank Uh, you do you feel like the counseling is helping you like process this like begin to process yeah no the counseling has helped me talk through so like I'm comfortable speaking about this now because I've already gone through the process of crying about it being embarrassed about it um feeling shame about it like I've gone through all those processes already and I'm at a point where I know I'm slowly getting better and I'm not I'm no longer in that incredibly dark space anymore and I know that in the future things will get easier for me so I'm happy to share this experience because I know that there are other people who even though like they might not have gone through the exact situation that I've gone through but would have struggled with their mental health and would relate to a lot of the feelings that I have about what happened to me and like might benefit from hearing my story. So I'm perfectly happy talking about this now. Like, is it over? (laughs) I think that's what is so amazing and brilliant about what you're doing is that kind of at every single stage throughout this whole process you kind of refuse to be silenced and even now with your kind of year being suspended like from what you've told us kind of just earlier it sounds like you're really kind of again not being silenced not letting this year be something where you kind of are quiet and you actually are using it for something really meaningful as well as for resting and healing, which is like super important as well. So I kind of wondered if you could tell us a bit about um, what you're getting up to this year. And I know that your YouTube channel is like super cool. So if you could maybe talk about that a bit, that'd be great. Yeah, so I started The Truth of the Matter kind of in the midst of that massive situation that happened in June. And what The Truth of the Matter does is we like use social media platforms like YouTube and Instagram and in some like sometimes my Facebook um, to basically talk about topics that are usually the elephant in the room so to talk about the uncomfortable topics that people don't like to talk about because it makes them uncomfortable and beyond that we also strive to make the truth of the matter a platform where people from marginalized communities can really talk freely about their lived experiences without any fear because when I needed to talk about my lived experience I did so with a great amount of fear about the trouble that I was going to be in about the fact that I was destroying my future even though I should have a right to stand up for myself in cases of great injustice and it's it's something that I feel other people deserve to have access to so like even the video we're doing this week it's not necessarily about people from marginalized communities like it's just the student community and how they're dealing with the pandemic but I feel like like the reason why it's important is because students have been greatly overlooked when it comes to the handling of the pandemic and realistically if it wasn't because like the university and universities everywhere need your money for rent you would not be at university having to suffer through isolation to work through the restrictions that are in place you would not you would not be at university it would be not for like it would not not necessarily that it's the easier alternative for everyone to be home because obviously some people have home environments that are completely like unfeasible environments to work in but like in terms of like logistically people would be working from home 
if it wasn't the case that you guys were being exploited for rent. And I think that that is an important thing to talk about, but it's not something that's really been spoke about, spoken about. So that, that's what I'm going to be doing this year. So um, the truth of the matter, like we have, I think the big topics that we've done, um, sharking, talking about kind of the culture within Oxford to basically take advantage of vulnerable freshers and how that can lead to um, cases of sexual violence. And I think talking about what it's like to be a black woman in Oxford and talking about desirability politics um, was a big topic because it's all, it is the elephant in the room that as a black woman in Oxford, that is an incredibly white space. Um, you do feel undesirable and you are treated as such because you don't fit the archetypal Oxford woman, um, which like, you know, is a cis thin white woman. And um, that is something that I thought was the elephant in the room that people weren't really talking about, but is something that really impacts the confidence of like people of colour in Oxford when being in certain social spaces, especially when like clubbing culture was around, drinking culture, like it, it all contributes. So like we're going to continue to host like the kind of hard conversations to like no matter how small the platform is now, people are listening, um, people are watching and eventually it will reach the right people. And that's what I'm going to spend this year doing. And like, hopefully it makes an impact. I know the infographics on Instagram are starting to gain some traction. So that is something that we're going to continue to grow. And I'm really excited for it. It sounds super exciting and such um, an incredibly valuable um, project. And so basically, thank you for um, having these conversations. and I wonder if you could just tell us like where to find you on Instagram. And so YouTube is truth of the matter, right? Yeah. So yeah. the YouTube is the truth of the matter and the Instagram is, um, underscore the truth of the matter, one word underscore. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find us there and make sure to like, and subscribe. It's nice to grow the channel. We're currently on 914 subscribers, but we're trying to get, to 1k soon we yes. just need one one more banging video somewhere <laughs> to push us over 1k but yeah thank you yeah i just wanted to say as well um this is a bit niche but there was something that actually i really enjoyed the channel but there was something that melanie shared on i think it was facebook but do you remember that article by abigail that you shared um, yeah. about it was kind of plays into some of the stuff you talked about on your channel about a conflict between um term time and home identities particularly yeah. working class i just you know what you said about hoping to make an impact i just wanted to say that from my experience even you just sharing that article and you've talked a little bit about things like that in your channel um it was actually really comforting for me because I sort of read the article and I afterwards I thought why do I feel emotional I thought like this is really strange I just sort of read it because I was like on the bus or something and it made me like I, I actually started crying because it just so summarized this guilt of feeling like I don't belong here and like is it going against my politics to be in such an elite space like this yet also wanting to be proud of yourself because you worked hard to get there and like people assuming that because you you know, speak well, that you must be from a really high background and then they make little comments around you, you know, jokes about working class people and stuff. And you're like, do I even have a right to be offended by this now? Or anyway, I just wanted to say that um, that made a massive impact on me because you talking about it, Abigail writing about it, just made me, I don't know how to say it, it like perfectly expressed how I felt and it made me feel a lot less lonely in that feeling, so. I'm glad. I, Abigail's article, it just, it perfectly tied together all the feelings that I have. Like, it reminded me of a time, like the time that I got my laptop. Like, I, like, obviously being a recipient of a scholarship, I was like, 
I feel guilty for spending this money. <laughs> but like, no, everybody else around me has a MacBook. Why do I feel guilty that I've spent my money on a MacBook? Like it, and it's because of the kind of life that I've had growing up as a working class female that like I had this deep guilt for trying to fit in to what is quite an elitist culture in Oxford and Abigail's article just completely like dual lives like it because it, it is such a stark difference you like live in that incredibly grand environment for eight weeks and then you come home to your council estate and it's like you you feel torn and it's not pleasant um and it's an it's something that people don't really talk about until that article really like filled a gap in the conversation about what it's like to be a working class student at oxford so yeah i really no I'm, I'm glad that it had that impact on you. It really did. Um, and, and like, as a kind of final question, I was wondering like, on this note, what advice would you have for somebody, I guess, especially from a minority background, but also, you know, maybe someone from a working class background who's thinking of applying to Oxford, just as a final talking point, do you have any advice? Or someone who's just arrived, maybe as a fresher? So we actually have a post on the Instagram called what questions I would have asked before coming to university and the advice that I would give is to actually do some research into the environments that you're going to come into email your college and ask them if you can speak to a student like to a student like from the college about what it's what their experience is like being there and don't be afraid to ask to speak to somebody that is working class or from your background at that college because if they can't like put you in contact with somebody like you then that probably shows you that that is not the place that you're supposed to be um and I, the reason why I suggest doing that is because having an honest representation of what Oxford is like and what the different colleges are like will make such a, such a massive difference to your experience. So at least I wish I had that luxury because it would have made a difference to my experience and I probably wouldn't have gone through the things that I have to have known that like maybe I would have applied to a different college from the offset and maybe I wouldn't have gotten into Oxford but maybe I would be thriving somewhere else and not having to deal with the same emotional labor that it is to keep fighting like people with really problematic opinions about things that are integral to your identity like as much as the truth of the matter has been something really enriching for me it's also been a lot of it's been mentally taxing a lot of emotional labor to to talk about these messed up systems that shouldn't exist but do exist and like really impact my mental health and I know it impacts the mental health of others which actually leads me on to another point about activism and who activism falls onto like it's usually the most disadvantaged or those from minority groups who are always the faces of activism in Oxford and beyond and it's because we feel such a great responsibility once we get into these spaces to make a change but the people who have the power to make the change the people with the privilege to make the change don't have that same feeling of responsibility to contribute to any change in Oxford so it, it never happens so yes we have these conversations but the people who can actually enact change don't don't feel obliged to contribute to these conversations in a way that is meaningful and I think that that is like a massive problem that I feel like I'm trying to fix with the truth of the matter but honestly I I don't know 
like if the right people are listening or if they will ever listen and it is something that I do worry about that's a really important point thank you for bringing that up sorry Kate were you going to say something no, I was, I, well, all I was going to say is I, I really hope that, um, I mean, this is a brand new podcast, you're our first guest, but I hope that maybe we can, you know, if this reaches university wide, we have people from a wide range of backgrounds in the society, hopefully um, just the more your voice is kind of repelled, just to turn the volume up on it, hopefully things permeate, but I totally um i understand to a degree because i'm not in the same position as you but it must be so draining and to be so hopeful is like it takes reserves of your energy which is why i guess it's our job as white people to just do our bit which the onus shouldn't be on you which i guess is the point of podcasts like this it should be on us really to to try and introspect and just honestly just care but I do think the podcast is um, the the channel is incredible and thank you so much we can definitely link it all I, I realize I, I think we can link it and Abigail's article and any other resources if you have any ideas Melanie and, and we'll put some ones on there you know if people want to keep reading after this okay thank you well thank you so much Melanie for like, talking to us for and giving us your time because I know you're very busy and talking to us so candidly about what you've been through um it's definitely like given me a lot to think about. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. I've yeah found it so inspirational just hearing how strong you've been throughout the whole thing, um, and how you continue to be so strong, um, and amplify the voices of others as well as being so articulate in your telling us your own story. Um, so thank you for sharing that. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for our first Grab Them By The Posy podcast, brought to you by Ruth and Kate from Oxford Feminist Society. We really hope you enjoyed it. We have attached some resources to this podcast. Please, please educate yourself and your friends and family as much as possible. These conversations can be uncomfortable, but people have been dying for centuries because white people don't want to have uncomfortable conversations or look inward, and it really needs to stop. What I've taken from Melanie's channel is how important it is that this wokeness isn't a trend or something temporary in order to help facilitate and maintain sustained changes in attitude, environment and legislation. We have got to keep doing the work in order to be positive, active, anti-racist allies to marginalised voices. The white privilege that we enjoy and the stereotypes and marginalisation of the black and minority communities our society and university has been so entrenched in have been laid down for generations. So it's going to take time and effort and commitment to undo this and lay the way for genuine, meaningful equality. For Oxford FemSoc members specifically, please engage with our Instagram, Facebook and website to suggest resources we haven't highlighted here. We really want to keep this conversation going. Thank you so much again to Melanie and to all of our listeners for your support in getting this off the ground.